the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. You're familiar with that little sleepy section just about halfway between Los Angeles and San Diego called San Clemente. I think of it uh, just nearby a beautiful historic Dana Point. There you have some of California's... um, Beautiful, beautiful, white, sun-kissed beaches. Of course, the famous San Clemente Pier. And who could forget the retirement destination of Richard Nixon when he left office in 1973. And uh, kind of the image of him going along the beach wearing uh, beach shorts and his uh, metal detector looking for, you know, buried treasure along the San Clemente coastline. Kind of a sleepy town, but who would imagine that out of those settings would come a movement to help call worldwide attention to what's going on in modern-day slavery. And when you hear that, you say, oh, Craig, poor Craig. Here, as we've just recently marked President's birthday, Lincoln and Washington here in February, we ought to be thinking of the fact that Lincoln helped abolish slavery back in the 1860s. Well, there were a lot of important strides toward the abolishment of slavery in America at that time. But truth be told, truth be told, that action 150 plus years ago did nothing to abolish slavery permanently. It still exists in many pockets here in America. It still exists to tremendous and shockingly degrees all around the world, as my next guest found out. And it led her to get involved in encouraging women everywhere to stand up and to essentially be a voice for those that have no voice. Kimberly McOwen-Yim joins us today. She has co-authored a new book called Refuse to Do Nothing, Finding Your Power to Abolish Modern Day Slavery. And Kim, thanks so much for taking some time to be with us tonight. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I now, when it. I say the the end of slavery with the Emancipation Proclamation signed into law by President Lincoln back in the 1860s, that, that ended slavery of sorts and to a degree in fashion. But the reality is, in 2013, not only does slavery still exist, but in fact it's flourishing in many parts of the world. Yes, that is correct. And I... Four years ago, I would have thought, as far as I knew, slavery was abolished. My understanding of slavery uh, was about the same level as my eight-year-old daughter at that time, and I thought it ended with the Emancipation Proclamation and found myself stunned to learn that there is an estimated number of over 27 million slaves in our world today and that 80% of those are women and children. We've seen focus in 
recent times on the issue of human trafficking, and particularly slavery as it relates to sex trades. We know certainly that there's so-called uh, sex tourism into places like Thailand and, and whatnot, but I think a lot of folks are, are completely ignorant of the fact that not only does it take place in third world countries, but a lot of that slavery is exported to the first world, meaning even America. Yes, and it's not always um, with uh, foreign women or girls or um, even men, but it's also um, with our with American children and women and men. And so we oftentimes think that it's over there and it's a problem not of our own. And what we're seeing um, is that it is. It is a problem here as well. And it is affecting even um, our suburb communities that we oftentimes take for granted are safe places. And so, yes, you're absolutely correct. Tell me a bit about how this first kind of came on your radar screen. You're, you're busy. You're raising a family. You're there yeah. in this generally beautiful little, uh, uh, very um, idyllic uh, community called San Clemente. How all of a sudden does the topic of slavery and human trafficking get on your radar screen? That's a good question because it sure wasn't until uh, uh, a friend of ours that we were that I was just doing a little bit of work with. I had just kind of gone um, back to work part time. Was working for my dad, and he invited us to see a film. It, the, the The documentary Call and Response was just releasing, and he was involved in some of the marketing for the film and invited us to see the film. and So we went more as supportive friends, uh, kind of new colleagues, and I completely underestimated what I was about to learn and the impact that it would have on me. Uh, It definitely caught me off guard. I kind of knew the subject was about human trafficking, but I don't think I really understood what human trafficking was. At the time, four years ago, I kind of associated with smuggling and um, just thought this would be just another interesting film. I had no idea the impact that it would have. And that's kind of how I first kind of woke up to uh, what was going around around me. When we begin to consider the breadth and depth of the impact of this, many car, uh, parts of the world uh, where there are people being taken advantage of, people that are being lured into this, and I suppose a lot of the reasons are the same today as it was a century or two centuries ago, and that is a lot of it has to do with with power and money. We're going to explore that aspect of this equation. Also talk about some of the unlikely trades and places where you find modern-day slavery taking place, and I think as much as Kimberly was shocked to discover that this was going on at all, let alone the breadth and depth of it. I am pretty much persuaded you might be, too. If you've just joined the conversation, it's a bit of a delicate one, to be sure. And there might be a, an opportunity here if you have uh, young ones with an earshot of the radio to maybe busy them elsewhere. Uh, we're dealing with one of those topics that we don't necessarily want to hear about, but need to hear about. As we uh, pull back the blinds, so to speak, and let in the light of day on the topic of modern-day slavery. We'll get back to more of our conversation with Kimberly McOwen-Yim as this edition of Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. 
All right, we're back to our conversation today with Kimberly McOwen Yim. A look at the book, Refuse to Do Nothing, Finding Your Power to Abolish Modern Day Slavery. And I had no doubt, uh, Kimberly, there are some eavesdropping on this conversation right now that would say, well, now, wait a minute. We're, we're, we're talking about a handful. I mean, certainly we're, we're compassionate about all of this, but we must be talking about slavery that's limited to the third world. It might occasionally be exported into uh, the West, but for the most part, a lot of this is concentrated in parts of the world we never see and know nothing about. Yeah, I... I can see why that would be kind of the general uh, first assumption, but when you scratch the surface, it's happening um, all around us. And uh, actually, in your neck of the woods of Northern California, there's actually probably a really strong presence of anti-trafficking coalitions that's going on. Actually, the Bay Area Anti-Trafficking Coalition is just around the corner from you guys, and um, there's a lot of different... um, organizations doing amazing stuff in your area, both in your local area as well as um, addressing needs globally. But yeah, we people on the front lines of the anti-trafficking fight um, have been seeing forms of slavery from uh, massage parlors to nail salons to agricultural work to domestic, domestic slaves um, through uh, uh, nannies and cleaning services, um, construction. I mean, there's, it's, there's been documented cases of trafficking in all those uh, regions, of all those different, different, um, uh, different groupings here in the United States let alone some of the um, big kind of global issues that are happening as well and some of those same things. So um, commercial sexual exploitation is a, a huge problem and concern, and this is happening in everyday towns. And this is happening, I think we need to be clear about this, as, as much as we typically think of this either in the historical context of, 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 of chattel or, or possessive type slavery, but there's a number of different categories, whether we're talking about forced labor, child labor, uh, debt bondage, whatever the case might be, and then it gets played out not just into the cases of sex trafficking that usually capture the headline news, but this is, this is feeding into a lot of everyday industry. I mean, let's face it, this is more than just, well, let me go back to it. This is probably the same issue that's driving this today as what drove it 100 years ago, 200 years ago, that's driven this topic since the beginning of mankind, and that is power and money. Yeah, and and yeah, the the bottom line profitability of it is what's driving it. Yeah, the economy of it. The difference is, though, that Back when it was legal, um, you know, a smart business guy would have a variety of, you know, have many slaves, and they would be an investment. They would spend kind of the equivalent of $40,000 in today's economy. It would be an investment for uh, their business. Now, it's not translating. The value of a human being, a human life, has ex- significantly decreased and a slave can be purchased on average between 90 and 120 dollars so that the people are becoming more of a commodity human beings are being bought and sold 
in that commodity level price range. They're not no longer seen as an investment, but just a way to kind of get ahead, but not um, a real investment. So that's why they're um, disposable. I mean, Kevin Bales in his book wrote Disposable People. He talks about how he specifically highlights that point um, in his book. But um, yeah, that's that's the unfortunate part. But I think it's uh, it's an important piece to kind of recognize that um, people are discarded. So uh, a, a woman who is bought and sold on uh, Backpage, on adult services section on Backpage, um, she is bought and sold commercially, and say she gets uh, a disease or an illness or becomes too difficult. She could be put out on the street. She can be disposed of. And those are going to be another young girl or young woman that's going to cycle back in. When we consider the fact that, for example, in the last several years, just along the U.S.-Mexico border, there have been six, 7,000 people that have lost their lives as part of the, the drug cartel violence you begin to get the impression and clear understanding that life is cheap, life is worthless, and many of these people are being treated simply like commodities to be bought and sold and traded, used and then thrown out when they're no longer of any value. And the sad irony is your book really reveals this goes well beyond some of the more obvious aspects of, of quote-unquote, modern-day slavery and the sex trades. Uh, it, it touches every aspect of... of <laughs> life doesn't it yeah i and when i learned that um what was going on part of the conflict now uh, what's going on in the congo is a complex issue but part of what's going on is the fight over these um mines where minerals are being mined and those minerals end up in our cell phones and our computers in our laptops and our mp3 players and when i saw so our economy is very complex, and so it's adding this to complexities that are going, rather than just certain tribal wars for certain lands, it's because these minerals are so precious that ends up in my phone. So inadvertently, I'm part of the problem. And so when I began to see that, the what, what I do with my time, what I'm doing with my resources, the, the things that I buy, those are not neutral. There is... They have a more global impact than I realize. Just because I don't acknowledge it or I did not understand it doesn't mean that I'm not a, a part of it. And so when I began to see that, I felt a great responsibility to understand it, but then to see, to do the things that I can do that are within my power to make a difference. Now, I can't, Congo is a complex, I cannot go over there and create peace. There are some many amazing um, leaders in that country that are working on that, the local church and different NGOs and different uh, global leaders are involved in that. But what I can do that I found out is that I can begin to ask my electronic companies, what are you doing to monitor your supply chain? What are you doing to help remedy this? The ordinary person has tremendous power when they start asking those questions, asking for slave-free products. And there's platforms that are already existing so that the average consumer can go online and can begin to ask those questions. There's platforms such as Slavery Footprint 
And Slavery Footprint is in your neck of the woods in Northern California. Their local, their headquarters are. And that's a great platform to sign up on and start asking those questions, asking your companies, what are you doing to monitor your supply chains? And that, the, these are the kinds of things that I began to see. There's tools, there's platforms, there's people that are creating these accessible things. I just need to use them. And this is the part that I can do. This reaches into almost every aspect of life, uh, both in the third and the first world. Uh, we see evidence of human slavery taking place not just again in the sex trade, which is where it tends to capture a lot of the headline stories, right. but the agricultural business. You mentioned about mining and manufacturing. We even see it in retail and domestics, which, uh, you know, a, a lot of folks, I think, are not aware of the fact that, for example, there are people that get smuggled into countries by coyotes that pay tens of thousands of dollars or obligate themselves to pay tens of thousands of dollars in order to be pulled out of horrific circumstances in a third world nation into, say, a country like the United States. And then once they arrive here, they're not cut loose to fend for themselves. They suddenly find now that they have an obligation to a coyote of ten grand, fifteen thousand, twenty thousand dollars And now they're stuck working for years in a domestic trade or maybe even working in a retail business. We see it going on in the flower industry, in aspects of manufacturing, agriculture. I mean, it, the list of places where this reaches its ugly tentacles into Kimberly is shocking. Yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I'm I appreciate your your the, the knowledge that you do have because it's amazing to me how many there's very you're very fortunate I'm lucky to be on the show when you know um, as much as you do because that is absolutely correct. I mean, I think there I thought that there are people that came to the country legally or illegally, um, and you know you have, might have one thought about immigration. But once you're here, to be additionally exploited because you wanted a better life for your family is is a shame. It's horrible. I mean, I I think that to, to, to risk your life and spend even if you're spending money to get here. And then once you're here, you're additionally exploited. Because what, what human trafficking is, is an additional exploitation on the most vulnerable in our world. Well, say, for example, we see people that are working in the garment industry. Uh, a lot of this goes on, most notably in places like New York City, where they're yeah. bringing in seamstresses to work from countries like uh, Cambodia, Vietnam, China. They're smuggled in from overseas, oftentimes in very deplorable, inhumane circumstances. A lot of the big blue shipping containers that you see out at the Port of Oakland, a fair number yeah. of them have humans that are hidden in there that have been given uh, paltry amounts of water and and uh, and food to last 8, 10, 12 day trip across the ocean uh, into uh, into the port and then they get pulled into, smuggled into the garment district and they're told you're going to have to work for X number of years in order to yeah. pay off the cost of your trip and by the way, if you try to escape or don't do a, a good job, uh, we have contacts and they too, back in the home country and they say, right. if you don't do what we want you to do, uh, we're going to kill your parents or maybe you have a child at home. Sometimes they're splitting up or maybe a husband comes to get away and, and be able to hopefully send money back home. And so now, now they are threatening the lives of your loved ones back home. And you're right. well, so well beyond the reach of the law because they say, now, if you try to turn us into the police, they'll just deport you. Right. Right. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so the, the question 
what do we do? Right? I mean, what what can we do? Let's save that point because I don't want to interrupt you. We're going to take a time out. We're going to come back and address that very important question. It comes down to, I guess, two questions we're going to have Kimberly address for us. Number one, why should it matter to us, particularly as Christians? All right, I'm, I'm heart sick to hear that women and children are being exploited in sex trade, agriculture business, mining, manufacturing, domestic retail. All but you know, at the end of the day, why does this really matter to me? And then, if we do conclude that it should matter, what do we do about it? We'll come back to that part of the equation, our conversation with Kimberly McOwen Yim. The book, Refuse to Do Nothing, Finding Your Power to Abolish Modern-Day Slavery. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Back to our conversation. Kimberly McGowan Yim, the book, Refuse to Do Nothing, Finding Your Power to Abolish Modern-Day Slavery. By the way, let me mention, if you've ever run into a case where you suspect that might be going on, there is a national slavery action hotline that you can call. It's 888-373-7888. That's 888-373-7888. Kim, answer this for me. Some folks eavesdropping on our conversation today might have an understanding that, yes, this is going on and it's pretty pathetic and awful and horrible. But how does this affect me directly? How does it affect you directly? I think um, I think we, we kind of touched on a few of those things uh, through our phones, through our communities, through um, just... We see it going around us. We don't necessarily see it overtly, but it's happening just under our noses. We might be having um, dinner at a restaurant where the people that are serving us um, are slaves, are enslaved, and cannot leave. I could be wearing a shirt right now that's made in another country, or for that matter, made in the New York City garment district that was made with slave labor. Yeah. And as you mentioned um, before the break, you know, as... As, as Christians, why should it matter to us? I mean, that is a, that is a great question. And um, I think um, in to answering, to looking at that, to know, I've come to learn that we, we kind of all, um, as followers of Christ, see that to know God is to know love, right? We say God is love. But I think in the same vein, to know God is to know justice. I mean, he... What I have learned over the last four years is all through Scripture, God calls us, beckons us through through direct quotes, through His prophets. I mean, you name it, all through Scripture, it talks about caring for the oppressed, caring for the widow, caring for the orphan, caring for the oppressed. Well, and the amazing Um, picture we have, too, I mean, we think about the very observation, what did Christ come to do? In Scripture, we learn He came to set the captives captives free. He came to bring freedom to those that were enslaved, and the imagery that's used there is not by accident. It was image that the writers at the time knew the audience, the readers would immediately relate
afraid to because they saw pictures of the impact and destruction of slavery all around them. And so the idea of somebody that is that deep in bondage and has such utter hopelessness, being a slave, being given sudden release or freedom was such a powerful image that it was even used for us to understand what it meant for Christ to die on the cross that we might be forgiven and released from the bondage of the slavery of our sin. Talk about powerful images that ought to immediately sort of kind of bring this message to the forefront for every Christian who understands what it is to be forgiven. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. What do we do about all this? How do we, you you have a chapter in the book, you bring about a discussion concerning chocolate. And I'm a huge chocolate lover. Anybody that's seen my waistline can certainly nod their head in agreement. Um, We know that there are places in the world, particularly along the Ivory Coast in Africa, that contribute to the vast majority of the cocoa beans that are harvested for the chocolate that we all enjoy. You use that as one example. Share that with our listeners and then take a couple of moments if you would please Kimberly and just give us a big sort of 30,000 mile high viewpoint as to what we need to be doing to actively engage in bringing to an end the horror that is slavery okay um, in you know just so many minutes um, uh, the you mentioned that great point about chocolate and I think that's one of the, the points that we make in the book is that Everybody, all consumers have uh, purchasing power. They have consumer power as consumers. So, and looking specifically at chocolate, uh, we can begin to redirect our spending and buy fair trade chocolate. And there are, there's divine chocolate, I believe, is in your northern, I mean, is in your neck of the woods. Divine chocolate um, is there. And, and fair trade, uh, and it's, there's, a, there's an, a labeling for that. Um, kind of like an organic, there's actually like a, a, a sign, like an image, a black and white image on next to their products on what is fair trade certified. And it's a third party certification that has done that due diligence to see if it's a clean supply chain. And so buying fair trade chocolate, redirecting, and I know it's hard. I mean, I've got two small kids who love their chocolate and their candy, but we intentionally redirect our spending to buying fair trade chocolate. Um, and fair trade products in general. Uh, another organization that I love that's also up in your area, Trade is One, has, they're going to a whole new, they're only going to be selling consumable fair trade goods uh, from rice to olive oil to chocolate, you, you name it, those kind of consumable things that are fair trade certified. So using your purchasing power, pausing at the point of purchase and thinking, do I need it? Is this so? Is there a reason why they're so cheap? I mean, half the time now, I just kind of, I, I, is there, is there a reason why this is so cheap? Asking those questions, and if we don't know, if it isn't fair trade, then asking the companies directly, and that's where slavery, slavery footprint is a great resource. Well, it's ironic as we've seen, for example, with Apple, many of the Apple products that we yeah. see coming out of communist China are being made with slave labor, or certainly in circumstances, conditions, and at, at wages that we would look at from any uh, first world viewpoint and say, well, that's deplorable, that's horrific. Yeah, well, it's interesting that you mentioned Apple, because um, as from what I know, and I've surely don't claim to be the expert expert i'm just i'm i I like to say i'm just a mom but i've done a lot of reading um but the um apple went ahead and 
were, was very, very candid, saying, do an audit on our company. We want to know. We want to know where things are made and how things are made. We wanted clean supply chain. So they were actually one of the first... Uh, um, what am I thinking of? The, the first computer companies that who had said, electronic companies who had said, we want a clean supply chain op- and, and open themselves up to a third-party audit. And that is a new thing. And more and more, hopefully with enough public pressure, more and more companies will look at that as an example. And so rather than saying, oh, no, we might, because more than likely they, they do, is to saying, we want to know. Because oftentimes they don't know. They they trust the people that they're hiring to you know overseas, and there's you know the minerals have gone through a variety of transits, and it's can be tricky to find out, but not impossible. And so I think by public pressure and asking those questions, that'll put enough um, with enough people caring about it and asking for that will re- will become a, a public pressure that more and more companies will begin to want to have clean supply chain. So I think we have purchasing power. Um, you mentioned, uh, I think we, we, have, we all have relationship power and influence power, right? So we have people in our lives, in our ordinary lives, whether it's our neighbors, whether it's people we go to church with, whether it's our bosses, our employees, our schools, PTA. I mean, anyone who is working with kids, who is... Um, working in any kind of industry, and there's all kinds of people we can have conversations with about it. Education is a huge piece. The hotline number that you mentioned, perfect. I mean, paying attention to what's going around us is, I think, half of it. Because oftentimes we go on as business as usual, keep to the grind, get in our car, go to the next spot, and we don't, we're not asking the questions, we're not get, building relationships, we're picking up our clothes at the dry cleaner. Do we look at the person in the eye? How are you? When we get our nails done, are we asking for the same person and building a relationship with the person that's doing our nails? Because that is where we're going to begin to see, um, and possibly, who around us, when are some red flags? Well, and at the end of the day, I think, as your, the title of your book suggests, look, this is a problem that's going on worldwide. People in the first world are benefiting from this, willingly, wittingly, or otherwise. It's not right. We need to do something aggressively to stop it. And we ought to be asking these questions, as Kimberly suggests. And then, most importantly, taking a proactive approach to doing something about it. Again, a great way to get educated. Check out slaveryfootprint.org. That's slaveryfootprint.org. And if you're interested more in this topic, a wonderful book newly published by InterVarsity Press Crescendo called simply Refuse to Do Nothing, Finding Your Power to Abolish Modern-Day Slavery. And our thanks to its uh, co-author. And by the way, I also should mention the founder of the San Clemente Abolitionist Mamas. I love that title. Uh, Kimberly McOwen Yim. Kimberly, thanks so much for the time and the insights. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. 
You know, when you think of a lot of the challenges that our nation has been facing for the last couple of three years, uh, you know, unemployment situations, uh, loss of homes because of a foreclosure, uh, you know, it's easy to get discouraged, certainly to kind of live in that that place that's sort of permanent disappointment. And yet out of all of that, particularly for Christians, how do we we be uh, sort of adequately rise up and, and, and above all of that so we can go on with life? And, and enjoy victory in our relationship with Christ. Well, that topic uh, centers around the title of a new book written by my next guest. Uh, you'll recognize her as having been the uh, Emmy Award-winning co-host of Aspiring Women on uh, KTLN here in the San Francisco Bay Area. She's written a number of best-selling books. In fact, over 30 to her credit, including her latest, How to Get Past Disappointment, Finding Hope. And Michelle McKinney-Hammond. Michelle, great to have you on the show. Hi. How are you? I'm doing well, thanks. Boy, this is uh, this is a timely topic. So many people are just dealing with that kind of overall biting sense of disappointment of what's going on. They've, you know, life can be tough enough, and then when you add to it the economy and so on and so forth, yes. I think a lot of people kind of get stuck in that place and they don't know how to get out. Yes, yes, because they begin to see cycles in their lives, and it, it leads to the, to the deception that this is all life has to offer and well I should just settle in and and not expect more than where I am and then we begin to to make choices that sink us even lower into that place you know and then I wonder, as that process is kind of taking place, um, if there needs to be a change in our thinking. You know, I think there are some Christians who who move into that position of defeat and disappointment, and they kind of, you know, kind of conclude that it's here, it's here to stay. So I have to learn to live with disappointment, right. as opposed to learning from disappointment and then moving on back into victory, right. Because every disappointment, you know, a friend of mine um, all describes disappointment as a disappointment uh, in the sense that we make appointments in life for ourselves, decisions of, of what should be or how things should go. And when the other people don't meet us there, the other parties involved don't meet us there, we feel dissed, we feel um, cast off, um, and it just really invites a spirit of rejection that lowers our self-esteem and and literally paralyzes us um, so that we do get stuck, as you said. And a lot of it, I think, then comes down to misguided expectations. I mean, let's think for a moment about people. How often do we live in that position of disappointment because our son, our daughter, our husband, our wife, uh, our parents uh, did something or behaved in a fashion that disappointed us? And now all of a sudden we're, we're kind of stuck in that defeat position. Yeah, yeah, it's true. And, and, and you know, it, life is, is a greater thing than that. And so we really cannot base uh, how, the conclusions that we make on life based on what people did or didn't do. It has to be come from a, a deeper place. That's why I use the, uh, the woman at the well um, as an example um, in this book, How to Get Past Disappointment, because she had been through a cycle of disappointments that led her to the conclusion that that was all life had to offer for her. And, and the danger in that is that when we get so jaded by our disappointments, we can't recognize the blessing when it does present itself. And, you know, what's amazing about that story is that um, e- even as, as Jesus meets with her, mm-hmm. he knows exactly what's going on. 
Oh, yeah. You know, we, we, I think, sometimes think that we can kind of hide that. We try to mask those feelings mm-hmm. instead of coming to the terms with them or instead of dealing with the root cause of what is behind the disappointment and sometimes the role that we play because maybe we've gotten our eyes focused more on the person or the situation instead of keeping our eyes focused on Christ. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe as we're you know kind of trying to keep up fronts, you know, keep up appearances, and yet Jesus fully knows what's going on, doesn't he? You know, and, and, and what I think is important for, for listeners to know is that despite your bad choices, um, your seeming failures, or even uh, the contributions you think you've made to your life being the way you are, Jesus makes an appointment with all of us. I mean, Jesus went to that well to meet that woman on purpose. It was a purposeful decision to be there that day when she got there. Um, and I think that he... Um, is just as purposeful with meeting us in those places of disappointment. He has an appointment to meet us there, um, to show us another way, to show us another wellspring, another area of fulfillment um, that will bring about uh, what we've been thirsting for. I don't think that she even realized how deep her disappointment was until he started pushing her buttons and uh, getting her to see that there was an option. You know, so many people that I talk to who are disappointed feel they don't have any other option. Mm. Um, I was just talking to um, a friend of mine the other day on the phone and uh, another failed relationship. And she said, well, here I am alone again. um, And I don't think I'll ever have anyone. I said, well, maybe you don't have anyone today. But don't feel that because that person rejected you that you have no options. You have options. And as a matter of fact, uh, we exercise those options every day. I mean, I always tell single people, you're alone because you want to be alone. Because there are people that you decided that you did not want to have in your life. Mm. You know, so don't don't say that, you know, oh, you, you, you are the helpless person in this. No, you've had options that you chose not to exercise. So you are single by choice. How to Get Past Disappointment, Finding Hope, the title of her new book, newly published again by Harvest House and available through Amazon.com, as well as through Bay Area Christian bookstores and bookstores overall. Uh, Michelle, as we talk about sort of realigning our, our expectations, talk to me about the process of moving from from fear to hope in in the backdrop of dealing with circumstances, sometimes of our own creation, sometimes beyond our control. But nevertheless, how do we go about making that transition from fear to hope? Well, it really is taking taking our eyes off of what we consider the source to seeing the root of the issue. Because the disappointments in our lives are really the fruit that emanate from a root. And I, I think that a lot of times we live on the surface and, and we only deal with what we see versus what we don't see. Uh, when we look at the conversation that took place between Jesus and the woman at the well we find out that the issue was deeper than her desire to be loved by these men. It really was a great need for God. Almost a crying Uh, out in a sense. Yes, yes. Uh, You know, she was trying to fill a void uh, to the best of her ability with something that was natural, not knowing that what she needed was supernatural. Um, And and it's very interesting because there's a very subtle uh, conversation that happens uh, when she tells Jesus, you know, this water that you're talking about, I want it because I'm tired of being thirsty and I don't want to have to come back here again. And I think that a lot of us are that way. 
we're tired of longing, and we don't want to keep revisiting the same issue over and over again in our lives. And he says, I'll give it to you, um, you know, go and get your husband. And now we get down to, to the nitty-gritty of confessing where we really are. She says, I don't have a husband. Well, I mean, she probably had been saying she had a husband. She was living with a man, according to the scripture. And he says, you've told the truth. And he congratulates her on it. He says, you've done well to tell the truth. So um, we know that the word says that the truth is what makes us free. It gives us the tools we need to, to get beyond where we are. And uh, so he congratulates her. He's very gracious with her and says, it's true that you don't have a husband. You've had five, and the one you're with now is not yours. So what he was bringing up was, here's this cycle that you've had in your life. And, and you, you've had five, five, six men, and you're still thirsty. You know, what have we continued to do and still felt the same longing, the same disappointment, even though we thought we were applying solutions to our, to our longings and desires? And I think that the light went on in her head because even though she perceived him to be a prophet, the question that she asked him was not about the men. It wasn't about, will those relationships work out? It was, how could she get to God? Because obviously the men had never been enough. And I say that what God is saying to all of us in the middle of our disappointments is, look to me so that I can show you the source of fulfillment. Look to me so I can give you the wisdom to find a better way to exercise different options in your life that bring about the victory that you desire. And, you know, you put it so well, because so often this ends, ends up being a product of having put our trust, our faith, our hope and desire on something other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, most definitely. And, and he must be. You know, he says, I am the rewarder of those who diligently seek me. And then he says something even more spectacular. He says, at my right hand are pleasures evermore. I am your exceeding and great reward. And the reward is the pleasure of being in my company. Because when I come into your life, I bring everything that you've been looking for. And all of those solutions are found in me. He, he's the one who gives us the wisdom uh, to, to gain the things that he knows we want. He's not opposed to us having what we want. But he wants to add what we need to the ball game too. Yeah. And sometimes we don't recognize that. I don't think that... Uh, that woman didn't even know why. We don't know, you know, the, the inside scoop on all those relationships. He said she had had five husbands. So if he said five husbands and then differentiated that the one she was with was not hers, that means she had five legitimate husbands. What happened to them? Did they divorce her? Did they abuse her? Did they leave her? Did they die? We do not know. But out of it came a vow, obviously that she was not going to put herself in the position to be disappointed again, and she made a bad choice. She made a choice that she thought would put her in the position of power by simply living with someone so that she could not be abandoned again. And we do that. We, we prop ourselves up and we begin to make compromises that we think are guarding our hearts, but it really puts us in the position for greater pain. 
We appreciate so much, uh, Michelle, the insights. I know a lot of this comes from your own life experience, and, and I'll let readers get a copy of the book to uh, to get more details on that. Meanwhile, again, um, How to Get Past Disappointment, Finding Hope, published by Harvest House and available through Amazon.com and certainly at uh, Bay Area bookstores. Also information on the web at MichelleHammond.com. That's M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E, MichelleHammond.com. Michelle, thanks again so much for your time. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of Lifeline. Thanks so much for being with us. And if there was anything you heard on today's show that you'd like to hear again or share with a friend, grab a copy of the Lifeline podcast. Simply log on to KFAX.com. That's KFAX.com for the Lifeline podcast. Our producer is Wanda Sanchez. I'm Craig Roberts. Till next time round, remember, just don't keep the faith. Get out there and share it and make it a great evening. So long. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.